Well, good morning again. You guys awake? Doing well? You guys, everyone ready for the big game? Everyone going to watch it? Come on. It's the biggest, biggest sporting event of the year. Come on. You got to watch. Everyone's rooting for? Nobody cares. <laughs> it's the, come on, it's the biggest winner of Super Bowls ever. Brady is going to have his biggest loss ever, right? I don't know. I don't really, I don't have a big stake in the game. But, uh, but I am going to watch it today. I'm going to have some fun. There'll be some shouting at my house, um, yelling at the TV, I'm sure. Uh, but it'll be fun. Uh, but today is a big day, not just because it's the big game. Uh, we got to celebrate, to me, the biggest victory everyone ever won, Jesus, what he defeated on the cross, Amen. sin, death, and the grave. To me, that is something worth celebrating. Um, so this morning, we are going to be talking about compassion, and I'm going to kind of bring it into this idea of big. I've been saying this is a big day. It's a big game. We're celebrating the biggest victory. Um, so I'm going to say that this morning's title, this morning's message is Compassion, a bigger plea a bigger idea. They don't rhyme, but they have the last two letters at the end. Um, uh, but a bigger plea, a bigger idea. If you're taking notes, kids, if you want to take notes, get your phones out. You can take notes. Um, that's the title of this morning's message, A Bigger Plea, A Bigger Idea. And we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, starting the verse verse. So if you have a Bible, you can open up there. If you have an app, you can open there. I will have some verses up on the um, TV as well. But I know when I'm listening to someone preach, I like to have the Bible in front of me to read it for myself that the pastor didn't say something wrong. Um, so you can keep me on my toes. Um, but let's pray one more time. Have we prayed like four times already this morning? Are you guys okay to pray one more time? All right, so let's pray that as we read God's word, that it illuminates. I love that uh, scripture says that, it, that God's word is living and active, and it's sharper than a double-edged sword, able to pierce and separate our soul from our spirit. There's this idea that we have these soulish ideas, our soulish emotions, and yet we just said that when we are born again, our spirits are reborn. And we live by the spirit, not by our flesh. And so there's this idea that the, God's word separates that for us. It's the truth that says, hey, you're an heir. Hey, you're living according to your flesh. You should be living according to the spirit. This is what the spirit of the Lord says. And so that's what I'm going to pray this morning, is that his word would do what it's supposed to do, that it would pierce us and show us where we need to grow up and mature. Amen? Amen. So can you pray that God's word would do that and pray with me that I would not be doing this on my own strength, that the Holy Spirit would help me. So Jesus, we come before you again and we ask that you would be faithful to the promise of your word, that it would be a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path, that it would show us where to walk. God, that we don't want to be stagnant. We don't want to go backwards. We want to advance your kingdom. And so I thank you that you've given us your written word to illuminate and show us how to walk in your kingdom. That Jesus, you are the living word. That Jesus, you are our way. You are the truth. You are a good shepherd. And so would you help us right now in this moment? We commit this next half hour. Maybe the pastor goes long for an hour. I don't know however long, God. We commit this time into your hands and we are going to fix our eyes. We're going to fix our attention. We're going to be in school and we're going to learn from you. But more than that, God, we avail our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, would your word pierce our hearts? Do some spiritual surgery, God. Cut out the things that don't belong and replace us, God, with a heart of flesh. God, a heart that is soft and tender to your Holy Spirit. So, God, we pray a blessing and anointing of your word in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read it in the New King James Version. You can read it in whatever version you got, um, but that's where I'm reading from. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says this. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, 
with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. All right, so that is our text for this morning. That's where we are getting, um, uh, we're going to kind of go some of it line by line, word by word this morning. We're going to not jump around a lot. I'll have some other verses, but this is our, this is where we're, we're jumping from this morning. Um, and so again, tying it into my title this morning, a bigger plea, a bigger idea. So for me, the first verse is Paul giving his plea. He's beseeching you. Uh, I don't know, anyone ever memorized another Bible verse? Maybe a different translation. That Paul does this every once in a while. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, in view of God's mercy. Anyone know the rest of them? To present your bodies a living sacrifice, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So Paul does this every once in a while. He says, I beseech you. And so we're going to look at some of these words. And so this is the idea. It's a big plea. This is where we're talking about verse 1. It's this big plea. Um, and I'm going to look at that very first line. Paul says, I therefore as a prisoner of the Lord. And I don't want to preach too long on this, but it, it stood out to me that Paul is saying this. He's saying, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not in jail. I'm not, there aren't, I'm not quarantined because the government says I'm quarantined. No, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He is writing this while he's physically in prison or in house arrest. He, the government has told him he can't leave a house. Anyone familiar with that? And Paul is saying, I'm not I'm not prisoned because of what the government says. I'm not prisoned because there's a virus. I'm not prisoned because of external circumstances. No, I recognize my identity. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I belong to him. I, I love what Paul says this throughout scripture. He says, man, I, I'm compelled to preach the gospel. I'm constrained. I, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. There's something about Paul. He's saying, I'm just a prisoner of the Lord. I belong to him and I've, I'm sold out to him. I can't live life any other way. I'm just sold out for Christ. And so he's saying this to the Ephesians. He's saying this to you and me this morning. Paul is saying, my identity, I'm not a prisoner to the, to, to the government. I'm not a prisoner to some virus. I'm prisoner of the Lord. He's saying, I'm not in house arrest. I'm at home with Christ. To make it participatory, can you actually repeat that after me? Can you say, I am a prisoner of the Lord. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm at home with Christ. All right, good. So this is Paul. He's kind of giving context. He's saying, this is who I am. Man, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And then he says this. Then he says, I beseech you, right? We just talked about this. Another word, I exhort you. I admonish you. Probably doesn't help at all. These are all biblical Christianese words. I beseech, exhort, admonish. Um, I charge you. Or and in other words, he's saying, I'm being serious in this moment. I'm not just teaching you a kind of a good truth. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm telling you this is really important. This isn't just like good information to add on top of other things. This is like, this is really on my heart. It's burning on my heart as your apostle, as the one who came to you in Ephesus and I taught you and I be, I'm the one that brought you salvation. I'm the one that began the church in Ephesus and I'm your apostle and I'm writing to you as your apostle. I'm telling you this is very important. So again, that's why I'm saying a bigger plea. So for me, um, if you are here, hopefully most of you call me your pastor. You can be visiting, that's fine. I'm just a pastor. But for most of you, I would say I'm your pastor. And there's times where I just teach you, I give you information. There's times I share with you that I think Brady should lose today. That's not a, that's not a plea, right? That's just my own information. That's my own thoughts. Um, but then there's times where the Lord impresses something on my heart as the pastor. And I'm telling you as the church, hey, this is for us. I'm pleading with you. I'm urging you. I'm saying this is serious. And so 
I've been telling you this is the year that God has placed in my heart the word compassion. And I'm, I'm telling this because I don't want this to come across as this is just some like gimmicky word for the year thing that pastor always does. And so it's just a kind of like a, a trick thing that pastor says. Like, no, I'm telling you, I am beseeching you. This is the year for you and I to really get a hold of compassion. For our church to be marked that, man, that church, they got compassion down. I, I think about Paul. Um, he says this often. He says, man, I've not, arrayed, I've not arrived. I've not attained. I, I am not completely perfect, right? I, I'm, I'm a work in progress. He says, I, I've not attained it all, but I do press towards the mark, towards the high calling Christ Jesus. There is something that, man, I, I have accomplished this. He says this, I've not accomplished everything. I've not arrived, but this one thing I've got down, right? What did he say? I forget the past because he's got a horrible past. He killed Christians. He's got every reason for the enemy to condemn him because of sins he's committed. And so Paul, he says, man, I have not reached perfection, but this one area, I've actually got kind of an inroads on perfection. At least this one area, I'm no longer condemned. I don't live under condemnation or shame or guilt of my past. But everything I've ever part of my life, man, I'm still being perfected. That Jesus is the author and the perfecter of my faith. There is maturity and completeness that still needs to be developed in me. And so why am I saying all this? Because I think this word compassion, I'm giving you this plea. None of us have arrived. Some of us, we might have some compassion. I, I've seen some of you be compassionate. I have been compassionate sometimes, but I have not arrived. And so I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me as your pastor, you have room to grow in this area. You've got to make compassion a bigger goal of yours. It's not just, oh, that's cute. Maybe by the end of the year, we've learned some cool truths about compassion. No, I feel like a little bit like Paul, I'm beseeching you. I'm urging you, make compassion a goal in your life. I'll say this to maybe my kids or students. I think gaining a heart of compassion is more important than getting good grades. There you go. So if you didn't get straight A's, you got, a, you got an, an out from your pastor. Well, mom and dad, I was working on compassion more than getting a straight A. I was listening to the pastor. Or maybe for some of you, I'm saying compassion is a bigger idea, is a bigger deal than getting that promotion at work or than winning the bet that you put today on the, today's game. I, I don't say, I'm not saying you're a sinner for doing that. I've put money on a game before, so you can, lightning can strike me. Um, I think it's kind of fun to do things like that every once in a while. I'm not a big gambler. I, I did that when I turned 21. I mean, I give you too much information, but I went to Vegas when I was 21. <laughs> And some people gave me some money. And after I went through that money I got as a gift for my birthday, I'm like, I'm not reaching into my wallet, my hard-earned money. I can't put that money in. Like, I'm not betting that money. You're crazy. Um, and so I have gambled before, but I have no addiction, praise God. It, it does not entice me to gamble. Uh, why am I saying all that? Um, good golly, too much of a TMI. Um, but I'm saying this. The idea is we've got to make compassion a bigger goal. I'm, I'm beseeching you to say compassion's got to be a goal in your life. It's got to be something that you are thinking about often. It's before you. I, I love that scripture in the Old Testament talks about how we should put scripture and we should bind it on our wrists. We should bind it on our foreheads. It should be just a we aware of it all the time. That in the Old Testament, the, the Israeli people, in fact, today, if I go to a Jewish home, they have scripture, right? The mezuzahs, what they call it, on the door posts. It's just scripture is posted everywhere. Some of you as Christians, you have scripture posted in your household. The idea is there's things that you remind yourself often. I'm telling you this word compassion, I'm beseeching you as your pastor. It needs to be something that you are thinking about, you are striving for, that 
It's more important, I gave you the idea of getting the good grades or then getting a promotion at work. It's more important for you to grow in compassion than that family member that you're at odds with finally recognizes that they're wrong and you're right. I can keep going down the list, right? There's, things, I, there's something in your life right now that might be competing with your goal to grow in compassion. And I'm pleading with you this morning, compassion's got to win out. Scripture says that mercy, or that same word we went through the Greek and the Hebrew, there's sometimes there's words that are translated mercy or compassion. They mean the same thing. But Scripture says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Are we called to judge? Judgment starts in the house of the Lord. There's things where truth matters. Justice matters to the Lord. God is a just God. But he's saying mercy, compassion, triumphs over judgment. I gave the phrase last week. I had to repeat it in my own household, probably to myself too, that sometimes I know I'm right and the other person is wrong. But to prove it, it's going to cost too much. Mercy has to triumph over judgment. If I'm saying compassion means more to me than being right, it's going to cost me something. It's going to be hard. It's, we're going to have to swallow some things. So Paul is telling these, these Ephesians, you've got to change the way you're living your life. I'm imploring you. I'm telling you, this is so important. You've got to change the way you're thinking, the way you're acting, the way your heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the way your judgment is coming out of your mouth. So Paul, again, he's beseeching. I, I know I had some of our notes. I'm kind of hitting on a few things here. Um, all right, I said that. I said that. Good enough. We'll keep moving on. So again, that first verse. I, prisoner Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of your calling. Walk. To walk worthy of your calling. Again, we are walking out our salvation. We are walking towards the high calling in Christ Jesus. There's this idea that we are to be advancing. Paul is saying, I'm urging you that in your relationship with Jesus, as you are walking and becoming more like him, because the reality is, if we're not walking, if we're stagnant, if we're standing still, I hate to say it, we're backsliding. If you aren't pressing towards the mark, towards the high calling in Christ, if it isn't, you're not sweating, if it's not difficult, if you don't find the Christian life difficult, I'm telling you right now, you're backsliding. That's a harsh word, but it's, it's the truth of God's word. We are called to walk things out. It means there's things that we walk through a valley, the shadow of death. We walk back uphill to where there's green pastures. There's things where, man, we have to be walking things out. And so Paul is saying this. I want you to walk it out. This uh, Greek word, I don't think I have a slide for it, but this Greek word for walk is peripateo. It means to walk around, to move about, to live one's life, your conduct. Not just what you believe or think, but the fruits you bear, what actions you take that can be seen, observed, and measured. Paul is exhorting the Ephesians not just to think differently, but to walk differently. So take inventory of your life. I know, I can tell you, since the beginning of this year, I have thought some very compassionate thoughts. I have had a desire in my heart to do something really nice to somebody. And I'll tell you right now, I'm guilty that it never happened. I, I put forth some time. I, I even went to the store to find a gift for some people. And I was walking around the store and I got sidetracked. And I was like, oh yeah, a gift for them. And, and I still couldn't find anything. I was like, ah, and it never happened. I'm just using this as an example. The fruit you bear is not just internal, just your thought and your hearts. It's actually what comes out, your actions. 
So if we were to be compassionate, it's not just changing our, our thinking. That's very important. That's kind of the beginning. But God is saying he wants us as a church to be marked with compassion. The way we treat one another, the way we are doing things, man, that church, they are so loving and kind and compassionate. Man. I'm pausing for a second because yesterday was the one-year anniversary of my brother-in-law, Joey, passing away. And we just spent some time yesterday as a family just remembering the compassion that Joey had. He didn't necessarily go to college. He wasn't the smartest guy in the whole world. He wasn't the wealthiest man in the whole world, but he was rich in compassion. He was friends with everybody. The guy had a heart for people. And so we just talked about that. Man, I, my kids are saying, I, I want to be like my Uncle Joey when I grow up. I, I want to have compassion. And I say all that because we often look at our lives, we look at other people's lives when they pass away. And then we remember the things they did. I don't know all the things that were in Joey's heart or in his mind, but I can observe his life and see the things he did and say he was marked with compassion. What does your life look like? I know this may be a little serious right now, but would other people look and observe at your actions? And would they say, oh, that you are a compassionate person. So this, he's beseeching. Paul, to me, the Holy Spirit is telling us this morning, your pastor's saying, this is a big deal. Compassion is not just some, I don't know, like I said, gimmicky thing, like a word for the year. It is a word for the year, but I, I want to put some weight behind it. This is something we've really got to learn how to walk out. And I love that it says, you know, I beseech you to walk the worthy of your callings. This word worthy, right? Deserving, suitable, possessing worth or excellence, showing qualities that merit recognition. Do your acts of compassion reflect the lavish compassion that you've received from God. We just took communion this morning, remembering how much we've forgiven. G, uh, Pastor Jill said, the wages of sin is death, right? Do we cheapen that too often? Do we just say, yeah, I know I'm forgiven. And we just keep cheapen grace, like cheap grace, and we just keep walking in sin? Or does the weight of our sin and the, the gravity of what Jesus accomplished, his death on the cross, does that compel us to have the same compassion on others who don't deserve it, right? I love that it says in Scripture that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we did anything to move towards him to say, I'm wrong. He said, I already forgive you. I've already done everything possible to forgive you. Does the way I forgive other people, the way I have compassion, is it worthy to compare it to the same compassion and forgiveness that Christ has given me? See, I, like I said, I know I can look at my life. I have done things with compassion before. But when I put it up to the same worth of the compassion that Jesus has given me, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm not, I'm not nearly as compassionate as Jesus. I've got some growing up. I've got to be perfected in my compassion. So there's this idea that worthy, work, walk, worthy of your calling. All of us have callings. And I know some of us maybe as younger kids, I know my kids, they're still figuring out what they're going to do when they grow up, right? But there's these callings. All of us are called to be, whether it be kids that are submitted to parents or a spouse. We're called to be a good husband, a good wife. We're called to be a good worker, to bless our employers, right? We all have different areas of our life. We have different relationships. But then again, this to me is a calling in Christ Jesus, a spiritual calling. That no matter where you're placed, no matter what job, like Joseph, 
Joseph was called to be a leader. He had dreams of people that were in authority over him bowing down to him. From a young age, he knew he was to be a leader. So it didn't matter where he was, whether he was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery, and he was working as a slave, man, he knew the calling. So I'm going to work this out. I'm going to work out my situation with this idea that I am called to have an influence. So he's working in Potiphar's house. He's the lowest slave possible. But he sees the calling on his life. And he says, all right, I'm going to walk out my calling. No, I'm to have influence and to bless Potiphar. And so within, we don't know the time frame, a couple of years, he's now running the whole household, Potiphar's whole household, because he knew the calling he had in his life. Some of you, this is maybe a side tangent this morning's message, you need to know the calling on your life. You need to know that you're not called to low things. You're called to serve. You're called to be humble. But God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything you thought or dreamed or imagined with your life. You are to have influence. Every single one of you, you have influence over other people's lives. And the calling that God has in your life is to bring people to Him, is to influence them for the kingdom of God. And are you doing that at home? Are you doing that with your friend group? Are you doing that at the workplace? Are you doing that? And so this idea, this calling is important. We are called this year to grow in compassion. It's a calling. I love that scripture says it actually a couple times. Many are called, few are chosen. Wait, what? I remember I read that so many times. Like, isn't that like an oxymoron? Like many are called, but few are chosen. Which one is it? Yes, right? But you find it that Jesus, his desire is that all men would come to the knowledge of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, of his grace. That's his desire. He's calling everyone. The, the fields are wide into harvest. But narrow is the road that leads to heaven. Wide is the path of destruction. Many are called, few are actually proving themselves to be chosen. Maybe that's a better way to say it. You all have a calling on your life. We are all called to be compassionate this year. Scripture says it's actually few of us will actually grab a hold of it and be called the chosen, that we're walking it out. I'm saying I'm believing that all of us, Osmond Church, we're all going to be chosen. We're all called to have compassion. We're all going to choose to walk out compassion this year. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So we're all to walk. So this is kind of the idea of the bigger plea. This is my first one. I'm going shorter, hopefully, this morning. Two points. First point was a bigger plea. I'm trying to make sure you understand this idea of compassion is not just a cute little thing. It's a big calling. It's a big plea. It's I'm urging you to grab a hold of this. So that's the first verse, right? Second verse, verse 2, says this. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. This is my second point. A bigger idea a broader definition or description of what compassion means. Verse 2 kind of gives us some more words that I'm going to lump into what the Lord says about this year of compassion. Because I think for me, the first time I heard the word compassion, I'm just giving you an honest definition that was in my brain. I viewed compassion as me having more money, more wisdom, more whatever more resources, that I'm better than somebody else who has less than me. And so let me have pity on this person that's less than me and give them the extra that I have. And that's compassion. That is not compassion. But I'm just sharing with you, 
I had a warped view of compassion. I, I could even read the story of um, the Good Samaritan, right? That this Samaritan that, that actually helped the person, well, he was rich. It says that he had a whole money bag, and he left at the innkeeper and said, if you need more, I'll come back and I'll give you more. So it was this wealthy Samaritan, and he saw this you know, homeless guy, and he was just being nice to a homeless guy. That wasn't compassion. Again, I don't want to go through that whole story, but as I kind of investigated and spent more time reading that, no, it was actually probably the other way around. It probably was this wealthy, could have been another Pharisee, Sadducee, someone that the other guys walked by, they might even recognize. Another Pharisee, another high priest, or the priest that walked by, oh man, isn't that so-and-so? Like, I know that guy. Eesh, I don't want to talk to him right now. You know, he might have been, the, the guy that was beat up on, lying on the road, ready to die, he could have been the wealthy politician. Okay, can I even say this? It could have been someone that everybody knew. It could have been the governor. And the Samaritan who was despised and the governor was being rude to and didn't like, it says that, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. And it was a Jew that was beat up. And this Samaritan who was being persecuted and ridiculed and made smaller, he was actually the bigger guy. He might have been poor and he said, you know what? Like the widows might, I'll just give everything I have to make this guy feel better. That's compassion. It's not saying, well, I'm better than you and I'll just be nice to you. That has nothing to do with compassion. And so I want to give this bigger idea. What is compassion? And I think the Lord is calling us to compassion. And so he wants to give us a better definition or a broader or a bigger definition of what it looks like. And so I feel like this verse 2 helps us understand a little bit more of what compassion is that God is calling us to this year. Um. I'll even say this. Do you guys remember um, the theme verse I have for this year, Compassion? It's Luke 6, 36. Anyone remember what it says? You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. So Jesus, he's, if you go back into Luke 6, he's talking for a while. He's in a conversation, a lot of red letters. And then he says this. He's talking about a whole bunch of things. He finally gets to this point. This is towards the end of his conversation. And he said, you know what? Just be compassionate just as your father's compassionate. If you find that same story, that same conversation in Matthew, this is the way he ends his conversation in Matthew. It's found in Matthew 5.48. It's pretty much the same verse, but it says this. Jesus says, you must be perfect just as your father is perfect. So for me, this idea of being compassionate... Perfect means mature, complete, lacking nothing. That's a better definition of perfect. So when I hear Jesus saying those same words, just, they remember different words, perfect or compassionate. I feel like this is getting perfect. How can you get any more broader than that? When Jesus says be compassionate, he's saying be mature. Don't lack anything. So in a sense, to be genuinely the compassionate that God has called us to be, it means it's a pretty high standard here. It doesn't mean just be nice to people. He's saying, no, 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 be perfect. Be completely mature. Lack nothing. Be like me. So that's why I'm trying to give us this idea of what compassion is. It's, it's this much broader idea than we probably currently think about. So the first word, right? Verse 2. With all lowliness. That word lowliness, you might have a different translation in your Bible, but I'll give you the Greek word for lowliness. I'm going to butcher it. I did not look up how to say this the correct way. Um, Tapenifrosune. No idea. Tapenifrosune. It means humble-minded, modesty, 
a sense of moral insignificance and a humble attitude of unselfish concern for the welfare of others. A lot of words here. Total absence of arrogance, conceit, and haughtiness. I don't know if I said this earlier. The word is combination of tapinos, humble, and friend, mind, right? So humble-minded. Only by abstaining from selfish behavior can members of a community maintain unity and harmony. The Lord is saying he wants to strengthen the body of Christ. He wants to make us beautiful, right? A beautiful bride for when he returns. And he's saying for that to happen, you've got to learn how to be compassionate, how to be lowly of mind, right? Humble-minded, thinking of others better than yourself. To me, this is very connected to compassion, humility, lowliness, going low. I know I just said that we are to pursue the high calling in Christ Jesus and to, to be the greatest in God's kingdom. What do you have to do? Be the lowest, be the least, serve. So this all fits into this idea of compassion. That for us to grow in compassion, we've got to grow in humility. I think I've said this before. I heard another pastor of a big church, and he said for this year, 2021, the season we're in, he says humility is the way forward. In politics, the church, humility is the way forward. Do we still vote our values? Do we still stand up and write petitions? Yeah, that's fine. You can do all those things. But just know in your heart, you got to grow in humility. Um, I have a quote. I don't even know if I'm going to read it. It's in here. Um, but maybe I'll just give you the heart of it. There's some things that this season of, to me, chaos, this season of a lot of noise that we're hearing from politics, from our own... Um, culture from just everything there's a lot of noise of what's competing for our attention of what we think the future holds and we don't know what the future there's just to me this is a chaotic season we're in right now and i feel like a lot of us we can blame our arrogance our frustration on the virus on the government on the this on the that well i'm upset because of that well, I'm frustrated because of that. Well, I'm lonely because of that. I'm depressed because of that. I'm, and we're blaming all these other things. And I think really what this season is doing is not making us that way. It's actually revealing what was already in our hearts. Sometimes adversity and struggles and difficulty, it doesn't make us something. It's revealing what's in here. And I'm saying, God do the work of resetting me. I don't think God is just resetting the world. Like this is a season of reset. Yeah, he needs to fix the world. No, I think God is saying, no, I need to put a reset on the church because if my people were actually humble and knew how to turn from their wicked ways and actually pray, then man, I could do a lot with this world. But it's if my people knew how to humble themselves. Man, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I feel like there is so much grace that God has for the church right now, and he's just waiting to unload, lavish, and dump load grace over the church. But he said, it's all contingent on your humility. Can you humble yourself? Can you allow me to expose all the junk in your heart, in your mind, and let's actually be real and let's deal with that stuff? Humility is huge. The next word, because i got to keep going here. next word that to me that's kind of defining a broader definition of, of, of compassion is gentleness. The Greek word here, preotes, I'm probably butchering it. It's a disposition that is even-tempered, tranquil, balanced in spirit, unpretentious, that's a big word, and that has the passions under control. The word is best translated meekness, not as an indication of weakness, but a power and strength under control. 
The person who possesses this quality pardons injuries, corrects faults, and rules his own spirit well. Wow. Compassion, I'm being honest with you. When I heard the word compassion, there's things that God has changed my mind. I think of, well, humility, loneliness, going low, compassion. It just means like I'm not going to be very powerful. It doesn't mean having authority. It just means learning how to be a servant. And I feel like this gentleness, the Greek word is really hitting it. It's this idea of meekness, right? That Jesus is the epitome of meekness, right? Not weakness. Jesus on the cross, what is it, man? I could just snap my fingers and there would be hundreds of thousands of angels that would just wipe everybody out. But he had all this power with self-control. And he was humble. And he allowed people to ridicule him, to spit in his face. And his reply was, Jesus, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just forgive them. They're ignorant. God, don't hold them accountable to the things they don't understand. Wow. Again, I'm, I think I'm hitting a hot button, so I'm just using this example. I think there's maybe people you work with or at home, but this is an easy one. Politicians. Have you ever said that about someone you didn't vote for? Let me put it that way. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They are naive. They don't know the gospel. They don't know your word, Jesus. They're naive of your wisdom. So God, forgive them. Wow. Gentleness. Gentleness is huge. Again, it's this idea of speaking the truth in love. Some of us love to speak the truth. We've got to speak the truth in love, drenched in gentleness. There's a Proverbs 31, 26, right? Proverbs 31 is about the perfect wife or mother, the perfect woman, right? But I love that in, in Proverbs 31, 26, it says, a wise person has kindness on their tongue. Kindness on, it is wise to be gentle. For some reason, my brain, I don't always think, I, I think of wisdom as being powerful and putting people in their place. But actually, you're wise if you're gentle and kind. It's his kindness that leads us towards repentance. It's the church's kindness that will lead the world to repentance. It's our kindness. It's not proving that we're right and they're wrong. That'll never lead anyone to repentance. It's our gentleness, our kindness. 1 Timothy 6.11 says this, pursue gentleness and fight the good fight of faith. So which one are we supposed to do? Pursue gentleness or fight? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. I love that idea, right? It's, it's both. It doesn't mean we're weak at all. The church should be a fighting church. We should learn how to fight. But I think we're, God is wanting to put a reset on the way that we fight. It's not in pointing fingers and judging. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. I don't want to go down the whole road, but I just want us to understand this idea of compassion. Don't think it just means we have to be doormats. That's not what I'm saying. That is not what I'm saying. But with wisdom, we understand. I've said said last Sunday or maybe two Sundays ago. I don't remember now. Um, I don't care about winning a political battle. I care about winning the war. Not the battle, the war. And we win the war by winning people's hearts. I mean, I should be careful I'm saying this, but I don't don't care. Um, (laughs) Even... Tony Cardenas, who's one of our congressmen that represents Arlita. He's been on our property, came to one of our Wednesday night services. 
I've had personal conversations. I've been with him in a public setting, and man, has he said things I really disagree with. And I felt it inside of me, like, ooh. But I know God has called me as a pastor to win his heart. Not to prove him and show him where he's wrong, to win his heart. God has given me an opportunity to have a relationship, a friendship, and I want to foster friendship. I want to create a place where he sees me as a pastor who he can come and get help from, not someone who's going to tell him what he should be doing. I would love to have congressmen that see the church as a resource. Oh man, they are so compassionate for the community. If I need something done, I need people to be loved on, I'm going to go reach out to the church. They know how to minister to people. So it's in this gentleness, it's in this kindness. The next one, long-suffering. The Greek word, butchering, I think, all of these this morning. <laughs> Macrothumia, it means patient endurance, forbearance, fortitude, the ability to endure persecution and ill treatment. It describes a person who has the power to exercise revenge, but instead exercises restraint. It is a quality of the fruit of the Spirit. Patience, long-suffering. You and I, we're in a season, we're coming up on next month. It's going to be a full year that we've been in quarantine. We're in a season of learning, long-suffering, patience. This is part of compassion. I, I have not arrived, but I'll just be honest with you. When it first came out, I think I, I kind of alluded to this several times in the first couple of months. My politics wanted to come all out on, on being the pastor and leader of this church. I was ready to say, masks, we're not wearing them. Distancing, we're not going to distance. Man, that's ridiculous. That, that was my attitude when it first, a year ago. I'm just being honest with you. I'm learning. Again, I have not arrived, but I praise God. My attitude has changed. My politics really haven't changed a whole lot as far as what I vote for and what I believe scientifically. And all that. that hasn't changed, but my attitude that I'm not going to say, you know what? I'm fighting for my rights, and I don't care. These people are idiots who think different than me. No. I'm actually going to have, I, I, can, I can suffer, and I can let someone else have what they want. Sure. I want to know Christ in his sufferings. Paul says that. Man, the first time I read that, I'm just being honest. The, first time I, the very first time I read that verse, I was like, are you crazy? I want to know Christ in his sufferings? I'm like, not, not me. <laughs> but as we mature, as we grow, as we get, become perfect, just as he is perfect, we realize, oh, Paul, you get it. Paul even said this, I want to fill up what was lacking in his sufferings, where Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Maybe he didn't experience all the grief there was to experience, so I want to come behind him, and I, just want, I want to finish off any sufferings Jesus didn't get. Man. It's just some radical things. Hmm. It's funny. I didn't even know this is in my notes, and someone said this to me right before service. I think there's this idea of long-suffering that maybe this seems strange, but it's the idea of lingering. On Wednesday night, sometimes we linger in the presence of God. And I even told Nick afterwards, even this last Wednesday, I'm like, man, I got a lot to grow because I, I can feel it. I can feel Nick and Jen up here they are completely fine to linger and say nothing, do nothing, and let a half hour go by and nothing being said or sung. And then for me, I'm like, 
man, like, I'm leading. I got to say something. We got to lead the people. We got to go here. Like, what, what are we doing next? Like, I got time. Like, we got 20 minutes left to serve. Like, my brain, I don't always linger real well. We've got to learn. There's a lot of this. To be long-suffering doesn't mean just enduring pain. It means learning how just to spend time with Christ. You've been at home, quarantined for almost a full year. Some of us, we still have a lot of room to grow of lingering in the presence of God all by yourself. You would think a whole year being stuck at home, man, we'll get that, no problem. I have not arrived. I've got some long stuff. I've got some lingering that needs to happen. Right? train myself. I guess, the, I'll just be honest with you. There's times where I've been in God's presence where an hour has gone by and I felt like it was two minutes. Like I just enjoyed being still in God's presence. And it was just good. I've had that. And I've been honest with you, there's been times where I'm like, man, this is hard work. Like I told God I was just going to lay on my face in my bedroom for 15 minutes. And like two minutes into it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have 13 more minutes. Oh. But it, it's training. So I just want to be honest with you. It doesn't mean that like, oh, one day like a wand will be waved over all of us and we'll just be able to linger for three hours in his presence. It'll just be glorious. Some of it is just training ourselves to suffer, right? To learn how to do this. Um, all right, I got to, this next one, bearing with one another. Bearing, the Greek word, anakomai, from ana up and echo to hold. Enduring, the word carries the idea of persevering, tolerating, bearing with, putting up with, standing firm and not losing courage under pressure. We are called to bear with one another in love. Compassion, to me, I know love is the greater, right? Compassion would fall under the umbrella of love. But I feel like what the word that God has for us, this word this year, compassion, I'm putting love under the umbrella of compassion just for this year in a sense. Bearing with one another in love. I have three more pages of notes all about bearing with one another in love. And I don't know if I'm even going to get to any of them. So I'm just going to say this. I think this connects to maybe the most important thing I say this whole morning. I told you that I'm beseeching you. I'm trying to urge you and make this really important. I think for some of you, this is the most important thing that you hear this whole Sunday morning. And it's already been said really through our worship songs, through Jill doing communion, through things I've said already. But the Holy Spirit just wants to make sure the nail is being drove. Bearing with one another in love. Meaning that there are people sitting next to you that got junk in their life. That this church needs to be marked with a church that we don't judge people. That sinners are welcome. I get it. Someone that's in the middle of all kinds of addictions and needs help, they probably should not be the person up front teaching everything. I, I understand wisdom in all of this. But I feel like the Lord wants to really put his finger on all of us. I'm saying myself maybe the most of not judging people that are in sin and that want to get out, but they're trapped. That they feel entangled in sin. 
And I, that's why I say this is the most important because I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying there's somebody, I'm closing my Bible because I feel like I'm not going to my notes. I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying right now that there's somebody whether they're listening online, currently live, or I don't even care if it's three days from now, a year from now, that you're watching this. And you know that there's some shame and guilt that you're experiencing right now. There's sin in your life and you don't feel worthy of God's compassion. All these things I'm saying maybe just add to the condemnation. Yeah, I can't even treat this other person nice. I can't even do that. You're telling me this is really important? Man, I got this junk in my life, Pastor. I want you to know the most important thing for me to learn this year is to learn how to have compassion on people that are wallowing in sin. To learn how to become the prodigal son's father. That this church would be a place where prodigal sons want to be here. Where they are just covered in filth and yet they're drawn to this place because we don't judge. We say, this is where you belong. Sinners, you belong here. You're stuck in sin. You belong here. I'm believing that there's somebody here that it's not just that you need to give your life to Christ for the first time. I, I think there's somebody, like I said, the Holy Spirit is saying, there's some of you, your name is written in Lamb's Book of Life. You're going to heaven. But you'd be the first to admit you're not perfect. Man, if I were to say, raise your hand, if you've attained you're perfect, man, no one, none of, not one of us would raise our hand that we're perfect. But if I were to say, you know who you are. It's not hard to look in your heart and know there's something that's going on. I'm not going to single you out and say you have to stand up or raise your hand. You know who you are. The most important thing is God's word. And he says that today is the day of salvation. Now, right now, is the time of his favor. Undeserved favor, meaning you have junk and you haven't done anything to get yourself out of the junk, but you're here, you're listening, you're doing something, and God says, that's enough. I want to deliver you. I want to heal you. I want to cleanse you, as Jill said. I want to put my blood that you're not deserving of and wash you. So not to belabor it, not to make this any longer. But if that's you, would you just, everybody, just close your eyes, bow your head. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you, all of us? What is he saying to you in this message? I believe he's saying he wants to change us. There's something that is not right. But he is the author and the perfecter. He who started a good work in you, he is faithful to bring it to completion. His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. It doesn't matter how many times we failed. Great is His faithfulness. He's the one that does it all. And He's saying that today His mercy is triumphing over all of His judgment. So if that's you, would you just, in your heart, repeat after me. God, I recognize today 
that I am a sinner saved by your grace. But I choose to no longer label myself. I choose to listen to the promise of your word that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's not the old man anymore. There's part of the old man that's trying to resurrect itself. And I say today, Jesus, I am crucified with you. That's who I am. I'm dead to the old man. And I am alive with Christ. I am a new creation. I might not feel like it, but I believe it in my heart. And I confess it with my mouth. That I'm yours, God. And I'm willing to make you the Lord of my life again today. To submit to you. To not try harder. But to give up to you more. To give you my life. So God, I give you my life. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I'm, I am everything I'm not. Jesus, we declare that we are under your blood. We are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So God, I, I declare that we are a compassionate church, that all who are thirsty, all who are weak, they can come to the fountain. This is the place. This is the place where we can be fed, where we can be washed. That we will be compassionate on others because we've received your compassion. So we receive your word this morning, God. That you are pleading with us to receive your compassion and to be compassionate just as you are. And God, we broaden that idea, that bigger idea of what compassion is. I will have compassion on people who don't deserve it in my family, in my workplace, in my government, everywhere I go, God. I'm expanding my idea and my scope of compassion. Jesus, thank you for your word that pierces my heart, but also infuses me with courage, with strength, with hope. God, that your joy becomes my strength. That today is a super Sunday. Today is a day to rejoice and be glad in you. Because I am in you. You are mine. I've been bought with a price. I can celebrate your goodness. God, we love you. Thank you for your compassions that fail not. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, Amen, amen. Would you stand with me as we sing one last worship song? If you need prayer for anything, we haven't done this yet in COVID season, would you grab me, a leader, somebody, and just get some prayer over this last worship song? Love you guys.